0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 127 of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. I'm Andrew Coates, and I'm rejoined by my friend Pete Dupuy. Pete's been a guest numerous times in the past, and uh, I first met Pete in 2017. I've told the story before at the Fitness Summit in Kansas City, and um, it it was exciting because at that point, I actually met you and Mark Fisher at the same time, and I'd heard you guys on a lot of podcasts. Uh, The FitCast was kind of the classic legacy when we were talking a little off air, and it's actually kind of crazy to see what's happened after you know six years with careers. So, but uh, it's great to have you on. And again, for people who maybe are a little newer to the podcast, maybe they don't know much about you. I'm hoping they do. You're one of the co-founders, co-owners of Cressy Sports Performance, which is a big institution in aerospace. And you've also been doing a lot of work through your media with Business for Unicorns, which is uh, Mark Fisher and Michael Keeler's, uh, I guess, gym mentorship program too. So, thanks for coming on
1: hey, I'm psyched to be here. It's funny, since we last chatted, I believe there was a pandemic and well over 100,000 followers for you. So we're living in different worlds these days.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of probably funny for some of the people who met me way back when is this person who didn't know anybody at these events. And there's a lot of cool stuff that's happened in my career. Um, but again, I think that's well chronicled and I don't want to make it about me. I want to make it about you. So you mentioned the pandemic stuff. Um And I do like to tap into the thoughts because not everybody listening is a physical gym owner, but many still go to gyms or work in them. So has anything fundamentally changed in physical gym ownership uh, after the last few years? I mean, I think there were the naysayers of saying that gyms were doomed and everything was going to go online. And I do get the sense that people have rushed back and gyms are as busy as ever. Is there anything different about the ownership landscape, the working in that landscape? And has anything changed with more reliance on this can be related or unrelated social media, and especially for you guys, certainly since you founded CSP, I'll let you just play there.
1: Yeah, that's a big one. So let me first by start by saying that the things that have changed are subtle, but important. It since Since COVID, we've been forced to embrace tighter systems for sure. For example, um, the requirements that came with being able to track heads that um, we will say contact tracing through our space required cleaner and tighter scheduling protocols mm-hmm. that we weren't necessarily embracing up to that time. It being in a a performance training gym space that catered to mostly athletes running a semi-private model, it meant that we could be super flexible on athlete start times and sliding starts and kids not being disruptive in that sense. But then when the state of Massachusetts says, hey, we need to be able to ask you to pull up the exact number of heads that came through your space over, say, a 90-minute window, and I need to know theoretically how that could have uh, kind of overlapped from one group to the next and things like that, that forced us to use better systems, clean it up with online scheduling. And and those systems just carried back into this regular life that we seem to have resumed and have only improved my life so that's that's one of the silver linings and then beyond that look as as the world was supposedly falling on gym owners the reality is people who own gyms like mine i don't know how many of them will say this publicly but covid was a good thing for our business Um, between the the governmental support we received and the fact that athletes were generally not interested in concerning themselves with avoiding the gym because of of potential illness we were closed for 100 days but when we opened we reopened at we'll say 98% of the capacity prior to the pandemic i'm talking in week 1 like mm-hmm. people didn't come back to the gym they sprinted back to the gym <laughs> and 2020 ended up being a net negative of like 1% year over year uh, from 2019. And that included a hundred day closure in 2021 with the best year we ever had in the history of our business. And so the, the reasons for this, well, for starters, colleges and universities didn't really know what to make of the dangers associated with playing outdoor sports. And so a lot of them just straight up canceled sports. And in some cases, like the, uh, you know, all of them canceled the sports in the spring of 2020, but in 2021, the Ivy league never even went back. And so a lot of kids that we would typically lose for eight months of the year were doing their schooling at home and their parents were basically kicking them out of the house to go to the gym because they just needed their space. And so we were enjoying the benefits of that kind of lack of clarity for these, these athletes. They canceled a minor league season entirely for our baseball players in 2020 and only brought back the big leaguers for an abbreviated season. So all of these factors resulted in increased foot traffic in my space, not reduced. And so the, the pandemic is a very fascinating dynamic for gym owners like myself, because it was more pros than cons. And I'm not trying to minimize the significance of, of you know, the illnesses and the deaths associated. But if you're asking me purely from a p standpoint, I, honestly, in some weird, messed up Crazy world, it helped more than it hurt.
0: Well, I, I think there's a really underlying point here. And I'll parallel this with as much as the damn thing sucked, it was actually a godsend for my career as well. I set up a home gym and operated the entire time out of it. I'll say that comfortably now. You know, at the time you sort of had to keep it subdued. But a lot of my clients are really happy to have that outlet. And we now know on the other side, if someone's sitting there going, Oh, you're doing something bad. Actually, no, we actually kind of know that based on everything, the best thing you could have possibly done was to stay healthy and active throughout this whole thing to mitigate your risk. And, you know, responsible and careful about whatnot. And now I have this home gym that half my clientele love training in. So I split my time, which actually has improved my quality of life immeasurably. I also continue to lean harder and harder into social media presence and other outlets for my time, which meant more writing for more publications and all that sort of stuff mushroomed up on the trajectory it was already on. And then I got a speaking invitation because my dear friend, Greg Knuckles, couldn't make an event in mid 2021 that was definitely pandemic travel related. And I got to fill in, which just created an incredible inflection point that blew up to eight public speaking things last year. I'm on track for somewhere between eight to 10 this year. And I think the underlying point here is I want you to comment on this, is what ultimately had you guys been doing for so long that was already entrenched in terms of attitude, brand, reputation, credibility, et cetera, that allowed you guys to weather this?
1: That's a great question. Um, And it it does actually jump into one of the additional points that I wanted to make for you, which was post-pandemic, I think a lot of us brick and mortar owners are thinking a lot more clearly about what the rainy day fund needs to look like, how much we want to insulate ourselves from potential disappearances of opportunity, not downturns. I'm talking about the lights are shut off. How do you pay your rent to keep the team on, on the payroll? And really what happened to us, it was a function of, of very unique timing. So Eric and I would typically empty the bank account at the end of any given month as owners with our owners distributions. And for us, December, January, and February are like the peak of our baseball offseason, cash flow is awesome, good time of year for us to be owners. And I remember in January, or I should say February, we'll say like February 2nd, 3rd of 2020, I said to Eric, hey, it feels like something kinda weird might be coming down the pike here. Uh, do we wanna hit the pause button on writing ourselves checks for a week or two, see what's going on. And then a week or two later, when we come back to the January distribution conversation, we're like, whoa, this thing's in Seattle right now and it feels like something could happen. Well, let's just wait and we'll write our January and February checks together in two weeks. And then all of a sudden it's early March and we're sitting on January and February cash flow, and we have not written ourselves checks and we're just saying, well, you know what? Let's play it safe. Let's see what happens. And 10 days later, we're closed. And we are sitting on a Q1 of very healthy revenue in the bank account. And we had the capacity to float it and we didn't have to furlough any employees. And we chose not to pay ourselves for a quarter of the year. And then when the employee retention tax credits came back and the PPP loans came through, we were able to make ourselves whole and we had done right by our team. And the loyalty that came out of never hitting the pause button on the payroll in any capacity and writing rent checks to our landlord without hesitation during that time because Eric and I were willing to take a little risk there, paid off like multiple times. And so I say this because the timing was so important. Had that happened to us in you know, the start of May and we're coming out of our quietest month of the year, this would be a very different story. But we got fortunate in that sense with how our fiscal calendar moves. Uh, so beyond that, to your question, which I know that was not the answer you were looking for that question. I'd say that we have run our business the right way from a long time for a long time in the sense that our entire objective is to create an environment that kind of teaches impressionable young athletes to not be assholes, (laughs) you know, teach them how to grow up, take ownership of, of their training and, and kind of this, the responsibilities associated with being an athlete. And if you want to perform at a high level, you need to do things like off-field work and take care of your diet and things like that. And we had spent a decade and a half positioning ourselves as role models for these, these young minds. And in such, we had just earned so much good faith with the parents in these communities that when the time came to open up in what felt like a risky dynamic, they trusted us to do so without hesitation. And so while the rest of the world was shouting about gyms not being safe, these parents said, hey, if if Pete and Eric and, and John, who was not an owner, but is now uh, at the time, um, if they say they're good to go, then we believe in them. And the kids were there instantaneously. And I didn't have a single parent wearing me out about asking me about social distancing or capacity issues. I tried to tell them these things because I thought it's what they needed to hear. And they said, look, we got it. We know you're going to do right by our kids. Just... Just run the credit card, give them a safe space to train, we're good. And so it was it was the compounding effect of a decade and a half of running the business the right way, is trust. kind of the way I look at it.
0: Trust entirely about trust, right? Yep. And this is I think the big lesson here. It's we don't know the crazy shit that could happen in the next, you know, two to ten years in any individual business, your personal circumstance, or you know, in this case on a global scale. And I really do believe that. Operating with integrity, always focusing on listening, communication, trust with the people in front of you um, and doing, I mean, integrity is literally doing the right thing even when no one is looking. And then when you you hit rough patches or like stuff happens, because life will throw this crap at you, you're in a good position to weather it. And, you know, I felt very fortunate again. I, I, I think the common theme here is there's a tremendous number of people across the industry who were able to navigate this and almost benefited because they had put themselves in a position where they were resilient enough to weather it, but also chose to act. I mean, I, I want to be very careful in saying this, but I, I do know that there were some fitness professionals that I, I know who spent a lot of, you know, certainly the first year, maybe even like the first two years of this whole thing, very engaged in, in victim mindset narratives on their media about various things and then missed a lot of opportunities that were within and then coming out the other side they're looking around and and they're frustrated because their brands did not only grow and opportunities did not only grow but declined, regressed and they're not getting invitations to do things and they're looking around as someone like myself all of a sudden is getting you know headlining spots and in speaking events and they're like well where's my invite for this And there are lots of other examples of people in the industry who, sure, there's luck. Like Don Saladino is a great example. Don, his lease was up on Drive 495 in May. And all this crap was going on in March. They shut him down in March. So guess what? Don knew, all right, well, I'm not re-signing this lease. You know, he walked away from that and then just leaned hard into offering free videos and workout plans for people. And because of his connections with Muscle Fitness and Men's Health, this mass of massive leverage point and a pre-existing like strong brand, this stuff got in front of hundreds of thousands of people. He was able to blow up an email list, uh, even further a social media following, which sowed the seeds for an incredibly successful online business, which now allows him to thrive. And yes, someone can be sitting here going, "Well, oh, I wasn't that lucky." Okay, but what's the common theme? The underlying attitudes, beliefs, behaviors showing up every single day and you can put yourself in position to benefit from or at least weather the next bad thing that's going to come because something bad's going to happen it may not be on the same scale something something shitty's going to happen yeah and we've
1: been effectively building a playbook during that time and so as long as you're not being one of the ones who's bitching and moaning and you are building and learning then you are in a good spot but that it's a good takeaway that for the most part positivity is what won as far as the audiences that maintained their engagement and ended up with opportunity on the other side. But I don't want to pretend that I didn't have a bad attitude periodically throughout the process because it did feel like the sky was falling. And as a gym owner, it was a terrifying experience to have to write, you know, five figure rent checks for a space where I in theory wasn't allowed to turn on the lights. However, in hindsight, (laughs) my gosh, (laughs) it was a, it was like this wonderful sabbatical, this super cool stage in my kid's life. I had a, at the time I had a four-year-old and a six-year-old. And when, when we got through the initial window of time where like the fear mongering of like, you can't open the doors of your business. I was, there was a time where I was actually afraid to go in there by myself. Andrew, we have 15,000 square feet of space and no (laughs) one was in it. And I was paying rent on it. And when I finally got over that hurdle, you know, the stage where we were like, we were disinfecting our groceries when we got home from the store. Yeah, I I remember that I would finish my son's kindergarten curriculum by late morning. We'd crank through that stuff because I was a kindergarten teacher at that stage in my career. And uh, what we would do is we would load the bikes into the car that my boys did not know how to ride. And my kids learned how to ride their bike inside our gym. And every day... For like two plus months, I went to this big world-class empty gym and my kids rode their bikes around while I trained or tinkered or painted and did all these little things. And I had these really cool experiences with them. And on the back end, it's this messed up mindset where it's like, I wish I could go back in time and do the spring of 2020. Who says that? But that is honestly how I feel in certain ways. I just had these amazing experiences with my boys and knowing what I know now, it was it was one of the better times in my life in this crazy way so who knows i mean hindsight is is a funny thing but there was a lot to
0: take away from that period and there's a beautiful takeaway honestly in all the years i've been doing this podcast this might be one of the the most fundamental things that anyone could ever do it's like you you fundamentally have a choice to look at events like this through the brightest lens possible and be zeroed in on the best aspects or continue to be entirely bitter and angry and fixated on the negative things and and be attuned to every little slight. It's like, I don't know if anybody listening is like a fan of thrash metal and you're familiar with Metallica and Megadeth, right? Anyway, so if you're familiar with the founder of Megadeth, Dave Mustaine, he was kicked out of Metallica before they released their first album. And by legend, Dave has been perpetually angry and resentful and, and holding on to this slight. Meanwhile, Metallica is one of the biggest bands of all time, but Megadeth have enjoyed a tremendous legacy. They're still one of the most popular, highest selling metal bands of all time. Still in the shadow of Metallica, but Dave has always been, by reputation, very angry and bitter about it. And it's entirely the way that you choose to look at these things and you can miss out on so much good if you're wired that way. And I think that's fundamental for... You know anything. And I think it will cascade into, if you have a positive attitude about this stuff, then I think you're the person who sees the opportunities when they present in future, instead of being angry about the stuff that goes wrong. And I don't think it's a coincidence that you guys weathered this really well. Again, I think it's a legacy of the the bank of grace that you built up with your clientele, with the community that's engaged with your media as a whole, uh, your legacy of sharing information. And I think that's a good inflection point to, to ask you about I mentioned that you've been now prominently a part of Business for Unicorns with Mark and and Michael. And whereas before you primarily, we've even talked in previous episodes about you stepping out and having a sort of a side business as a business mentor, right? A reputable one compared to like the 20 year old kids who are like, hey, I can help you with your coaching. But so how is that allowed you to develop with your own career, you know, in terms of fulfillment and the, and the balance with also owning and running, um, CSP.
1: Sure. So
0: business consulting
1: with gym owners has definitely been a side hustle for me since 2016, 2017 ish. We'll say when I started putting out content and it was, Partially out of curiosity, because I had finally operationalized my business in a way that there were SOPs in place that to a degree it could run itself. And I I had the capacity to free up a percentage of my schedule to do something that was interesting to me. Now, it didn't mean I was not going to show up to the gym anymore, and I was just going to turn myself into some sort of influencer. But it (laughs) wasn't out of the question for me to take a day of the work week and give it to content creation and coaching. And so that's what I did. And I did it solo for a while, a couple of years, uh, about five years actually. And I went through degrees of um, interest in it. Like my relationship with the coaching was good. Sometimes it was bad others. Sometimes I resented the responsibility others. I was super fired up about it. But when I kind of took stock of what I liked and did not like about it, what I realized was what was holding me back was that I wasn't that interested in chasing payments and scheduling and the mechanics, like the administrative component of coaching. And that was hurting my ability to push forward with growing it. And during the spring of 2021, when Fisher and Keeler came to me and said, hey, uh, we're thinking of scaling this thing up. And we'd really like kind of a turnkey coach to come in. Would you be interested in coming in and coaching under this umbrella with us? And they gave me all the options. Would you like to acquire an equity piece of the operation? Would you like to purely just be paid for your time? Are you interested in a revenue share, you name it. Let's talk about it. Let's be creative. And they wanted to scale their coaching capacity. And I think they also wanted to get their fingers into the performance training space a little bit. And while their gym is wildly successful and, and like a kind of a, a landmark within our industry as far as gen pop service providing goes. Uh, they didn't know much about taking care of the local high school athlete or the college athlete or the pro athlete. And I was kind of the path of least resistance for getting them there, I think. And since that time, when I joined, we had 38 gym owners in there. We've scaled. We're just about to pass the 100 gym threshold and a pretty significant chunk of them our performance training gym owners. And it's been really funny to watch the dynamics of these retreats that we do change where it used to be people who were drawn to Michael and Mark's message. Now they're meatheads <laughs> like you and me in the room. And it's, it's funny. Yeah. Um, obviously you and I are slightly different meatheads. Cause I don't, I don't look like I could move the weight you could, but I've been training in that environment for my professional life for the last 10 or 16 years at this point. <laughs> and so the gym just gets Filled, or I should say the retreats get filled with guys who look like they read T-Nation back in the day or still do. And it's been cool because that infusion, I feel accountable to, to a degree. And uh, here I am still doing it. And the beauty of joining them was that I don't do any of the billing or any of the scheduling. They just said, hey, what portion of your week are you willing to make available to our community? You tell us that, we'll populate it. And, nice. and now- I just check my schedule on Monday nights to see what Tuesday's coaching hours look like. I show up, I interact with members from the community. I It's basically accountability coaching and help them get creative with how they're going to scale their operation. And then beyond that, Mark and Michael just want me to help them in putting out content and helping scale the message. And we record a weekly podcast. And basically, I selfishly get to do the only things I like about the coaching piece from the past and then I get to utilize their resources to offset the stuff that was kind of burdensome to me in the past. And I'm I mean it's, don't get me wrong, this is definitely a mutually beneficial dynamic. They pay very favorably for what, you know, the service provided. And I don't resent my hours, and they're just intelligent, like inspirational guys to work for and with. So I kind of feel like I found the cheat code with Unicorn Society. Because it's like, oh, just do the things you like and get paid better than you were paying yourself to do this on your own. Okay.
0: (laughs) As much as this sounds like sort of a unicorn situation, uh, uh, it's actually a metaphor for what I think most coaches would like to do, which is to do more of the things that they enter the industry to do and they love and perhaps less of the time consuming, low leverage tasks. So we hear a lot of talk about people doing various things like hiring a virtual assistant or what have you, but how does the coach listening to this, who's the one person operation in person and or online, how do they take these administrative tasks off their plate and do more of what they love, which probably means sustainability and and re- and keeping the passion for what they love longer versus mm-hmm. burning out. Totally agree. To me, this is... The
1: bottleneck on this for for brick-and-mortar facility owners is is talent development because they they started a gym because they were great coaches, right? You know, gyms usually start by people like yourself who say, I'm sick of working for the man. I work too hard. I have too many loyal clients. They don't deserve the cut they're getting. Uh, I know you have a unique – you and Dean have an amazing setup up there. Cool gym, good
0: <laughs> environment, all that stuff. Um, we, so we are, you are unicorn we These are spoiled in that okay guys yeah. context so me and me and dean subverset we're at different locations within the same company uh, we used to both work for the same commercial jib and we pay very low rent. uh i'm, I'm going to shout out evolve strike my friend john chung he's my partner in a in a conference we're going to do in october and dean is going to be one of the speakers i'll be speaking i've talked about it before but we have a sweetheart deal i brought a lot of trainer friends of mine in there and we're going into vancouver pretty soon we've got there's three locations in Calgary and I'm not an owner. People mistake me as an owner of a vault. No, I'm just sort of a, a a prominent figure in the grand scheme of it all, but it's an incredible environment to work in. So I know not every coach has the, the opportunity. It's, it's almost like getting to own the gym. I have total free run of the place, whatever I want, the space. Uh, I pay rent and I don't have any of the administrative stuff. So it's actually a sweetheart deal. If you can find something like this, honestly, it's the way to work.
1: Oh, yeah, I remember years back, Dean, Dean was kind of picking my brain about my experience in gym ownership. And when we got to the percentage of his sessions that he was giving to the business, I was like, pause, time out. Don't ever leave that until the end of time. Don't ever make the owner of that gym angry. Don't rock the boat. Uh, Sounds to me like you're stealing. They're good people, obviously ride that as long as you can and i'm sure that there there are ways that i'm not seeing that you guys drive immense value to them beyond just a rental figure mm-hmm. circling back the average person in your position has a less favorable split mm-hmm. with the property owner and as a result they hit some sort of a breaking point threshold and they say screw this i'm opening my own place and they open up a gym and and my my buddy jean-claude vacassin who who does some business consulting over in the UK. I remember him saying, there are business owners and there are power rack owners. And the ones the ones who who jump ship on their personal training job because they were angry at their boss, they just buy a bunch of power racks. They own power racks. And now they've got a lease and they have no idea what they're doing. And then there are people who think strategically about this thing and what growth looks like and what the responsibilities of the administrative components of running the gym are. Those are business owners. And in unicorn society, we we work with business owners. Uh so there is a certain kind of threshold you have to get over to work with us. Like you can't you can't be a one-man operation with less than say two hundred thousand dollars a year of revenue. You need to have you need to have a, a real lease. You need to have at least one employee. You need to have a certain threshold of kind of cash generation in the operation to be a fit for it. It's not because we're some sort of elitist coaches. It's because we don't know shit about that that business that I just described. So what I would say to answer your question about how someone gets to do more of what they like as a one-man show, I would be thinking about developing the talent that I need to be my right-hand man in the space because in order to to handle the kind of working on the business and not in the business piece of it you need a second set of hands who's going to pick up some of the coaching responsibilities because there are only so many hours in the day and it's hard to find good coaching so you should constantly be networking you should constantly doing should constantly honestly be running the playbook that you were running when i met you which was be at the back of the room at an event full of people that you trust and make sure that every one of them looks you in the eye and shakes your hand while you're there. And you are inevitably going to accumulate a Rolodex. I'm dating myself, obviously, here. <laughs> but a <laughs> a network of people where when the time comes to make a hire, it's like, you know what? I'm going to shoot a text to Andrew, see if he has anyone. I'm going to fire off a text to Mark. He's got a little bit of an audience. Maybe he's got someone in my market who might want to come work with me. It's, it's about playing the long game with relationship development, because when it comes time to make that hire, you have no idea how hard it is to find competent coaching. And the last thing you want is to be hiring a supposedly competent strength coach through Indeed. But that's the place people are having to go right now. And it's because they aren't thinking about that moment down the road when if things break right, they need to add a body to the payroll. Where do they start? Because if you're starting at the moment that you have the cash flow for it, you're fucked, honestly. Like, it's it's just not going to move as fast as you want it to.
0: You talked on previous episodes with me about the the legacy of the community that have come through as interns, because your your mm-hmm. intern program is is legendary within the space. And you have this massive network, and so that network has been able to benefit from each other, but anybody who's got a good relationship with you could literally reach out to you go, hey, I'm looking for someone, and you have a very long list of potential people. And this is back to my bank of grace analogy that I mentioned earlier. It's the same thing. I really believe in this concept. If you continue to show up, support, give relentlessly, it's, it's Gary Vaynerchuk's jab, jab, jab without a lot of right hooks. And and I'm a believer in continuously trying to give and support um, and not make withdrawals from that bank of grace across the industry with the, with individual relationships, but uh, as it, Aggregate of the entire industry. So, in rare situations where maybe I do need to make a withdrawal, well, first of all, you know, let's say I I ask someone to come on the podcast. If I've got a good relationship with someone and I have an audience that is valuable to share someone with, is that really even a withdrawal? A lot of the time, people are are super excited to come on. It's getting an hour to catch up with an old friend, so on and so forth. So you can actually put yourself in a position where you really aren't even withdrawing, and you end up with such a bank of grace to where. Every once in a while, maybe you do need to cash something in a little bit, right? I've been working on some ideas, big picture stuff. And you know, I, I shoot a text to a good friend of mine, like Mike Dola and Nick Shaw. And I'm like, they've done really well in the business space. So I'm like, hey guys, can I pick your brain? They're like, absolutely. And then of course, turns around my conversation with Mike flips to some of the stuff that he wants to do coming up. So it actually ends up being a big give as much as a take, as well. And in relationships like that, you're really not ever taking. And I think where people get into trouble is we all encounter people in the industry who are takers and they're wired to, they they ask of people's time, and they, and they may even try to present something that they're asking for that's only valuable to them as something that's supposedly valuable to you, right? It's anybody who's marketing your DM saying, hey, you know, I, I put together this 15-minute, or can you, can you get on for a 15-minute call, and I'll show you how I can add value to it. It's like, like, no, that 15 minutes is valuable to me. And you clearly haven't done any research. So I'm not interested in your sales pitch. And I usually block those people. So it, it's pretty easy to delineate between people who will give and who are just habitual takers. And pretty quickly, we notice in our industry that the people who take, suddenly people just stop supporting them pretty fast.
1: Well, the takers are the people we were talking about earlier who were bitching during COVID. <laughs> those, mm. because, because no one had anything to give at that point. And all they had done is take and take and take. And suddenly someone shut the faucet off on them. And next thing you know, they were the victims. And so I'm with you. Look, you and I ran the same playbook in a lot of ways. It You, people who don't know you or didn't know you before, who say, oh, look at this guy His with his big audience, his big following, they don't realize that that the concept of 10,000 hours before you started publishing is silly. Let's talk 20, 30, 40,000 hours. And for me, I, I ran a gym and built a social media audience for that operation with my colleagues for eight years before I wrote a single blog. I mean, I didn't, the the first speaking engagement I had was because a friend of a friend was hosting and they did me a solid and dumped me into a roster where I presented after Brett Contreras and before Alan Aragon. And I had never, I had never stood in front of a room and said anything uh, about anything. And I got a good opportunity because I had been nice to friends who were ready to give. And you know how I got that opportunity, Andrew? It was the fitness summit. And you want to know why? Because one of my former interns, older brother, ran it. And so the intern community gives and takes every day of the week. And you look at our intern alums, Jordan Syed interned for me. So he Lee interned for me. I've got, I've got NBA champion strength coaches who interned for me. There are so many of them who have so massively obliterated any degree of success that I supposedly have had for myself that it's comical. And, and they all in this really crazy way, still make me feel like a mentor when I connect with them. And I know they don't have to, but they do. It's like when you run into your elementary school teacher and you're like, you have no idea how you changed my life. And that teacher's like, I'm still teaching elementary school. And Andrew, you've got hundreds of thousands of followers. What are you talking about? And you just feel compelled to make sure they know the impact they had. And that's how these these influencers or these accomplished coaches who have come through our doors and our programs treat me and make me feel. And it's super rewarding. So to your point, the give piece creates opportunities to take where you're not actually taking. Because right now you're not taking, asking me for an hour to chat. I mean, I'm I'm catching up with a friend and I have the opportunity to talk about Unicorn Society. My God, don't I look good? <laughs> so this is like stealing for me, not just taking, but that's the way this world needs to work. It's give and take.
0: There's a couple of cool things in here, and I'm going to parallel what you just said. And I've said this to you before, probably on air. That event, 2017 Fitness Summit in Kansas City, was the first event I ever traveled to. Again, Dean Somerset was one of the speakers. I've known Dean for years, done tons of his con ed, same company. But here are people that I followed for years and heard on podcast. Like, again, longtime teenage reader before I wrote for them. You got Alan Aragon and Brett Contreras in that lineup. Uh, Mike T. Nelson just happened to be hanging out there. I was just on his podcast. And I mean, that lineup, I'm trying to remember who else was in it. Well, again, Mark Fisher. And Mark was a bit newer to me, but I'd heard him on podcast. And because I knew Tony Jellicor, who's become a good friend of mine, great guy. We just spoke at an event together in Dallas earlier this year. Um, and of course, I've been reading Eric Cressy stuff for a long time again, T Nation. And then here's this other guy who's popping up on podcast I've listened to, Pete who happens to be their co-owner with the business. And I'm really enjoying your stuff. I've got a Bachelor of Commerce degree. So like my business mindset's always been there. I've always liked the business side of this stuff. And so when it came down to this lineup, I was like, I was excited to meet you. And I remember that you, my impression was that you were the only non-trainer in a room full of trainers. You were the, the, the business guy. And you were sitting quietly at the back of the room at a bunch of different junctures and you weren't necessarily surrounded by a whole bunch of people. And so I made the point of sitting down and hanging out and, and letting you know that, Hey, I was excited to come and see you speak. And, and I was excited to meet you and then turn around. We're both at another event at Lucas, um, you know, a few months later in Seattle and you and Mark again are there. So we again reconnect and, and hang out a little bit and we bring you on the podcast later on when, 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 my buddy Guido was still my co-host at the time. And well, look where it's all gone. And now, as you continue to point out, sure, I've got a large social media following. I've gotten a lot of public speaking stuff. I've gotten a right for a lot of publications. And yet I was I wanted to bring you back to share and support what you're doing because I, I've i been interested in it. So it, I, I think it all ties in.
1: Totally agree. And honestly, the the scale piece is something I think people need to understand isn't the end-all be-all. Like I'm definitely a a believer in the kind of 1,000 true fans type approach. Because if you have that, you've got the world at your fingertips. So I want to warn your audience about getting too enamored with chasing the growth you've seen. Because Mm -hmm. plenty of people can create that growth but not understand how to monetize it. And, and not understand how to continue to deliver value. So uh, I just advise that people be careful about trying to replicate what you've pulled off because once you get there, what are you gonna do with it? <laughs> you are continuing to put out good content and and focus on the jab piece of Vaynerchuk's approach. But a lot of people think that that the huge audience equates to a lifetime of success Nope, and nothing
0: really changes. Nope. Uh, people react to you differently. And that's sort of a weird and almost uncomfortable thing. It can actually be sort of isolating from like interaction with certain people because I have definitely had this weird experience where like people have interacted with me and very early on, they figured out this and they're anchored to the fact that I have the appearance and I hate the lens of status, but people think in terms of status that I appear to have the status I do now. And then they attribute that's always been there. Whereas my old friends who know me forever, like saw this all grow they they know what I really like, but I've definitely had people interact in, in a sort of weird way that like it, it, it's almost uncomfortable. And I always try to remind people, hey, no, normal person here, like forget all this. There's, there's nothing to this fucking social media following. It just happens to be something that I'm able to leverage for a lot of good. I think there's value in it, but I think you're right the person who chases it thinking it's going to solve all your problems or lead to success on its own. There's a lot of things that went into fueling this like a lot. And I, and I will point this out major inflection was traveling to a lot of different events, a lot of good timing, meeting a lot of really great people, having the support of very powerful, successful people in the industry, like Jordan Syed, Mike Isretel early. Those two shared my stuff early and drove a lot of followers to me. And there's a lot more people along the way have done that Uh, being Lucky enough to have the podcast, which led to the opportunity to write for Teen Nation, which of course, major inflection point. And that was predicated on the fact that I was already writing for my website. And I had aggressively studied books on writing. Literally behind me, in video, there's a whole big pile of books on writing. So there's a lot that went there. That focus on writing led to being able to turn around and write short form to scale social media at a critical point where that particular tactic worked very well on social media before everybody was doing it. Then you turn around, more opportunities to write for more things. And those relationships that were fostered by travel and the podcast turn into public speaking opportunities. And once that became a thing and everybody else recognized it, further relationships created more opportunities. There are so many elements that went into this. And behind the scenes, there's a shit ton of time spent interacting with, responding to questions, responding to DMs, that sort of stuff gets time consuming. It's very, very fulfilling. But most people think that, oh, I just want to start creating... Content for social media, and I'm going to blow up and go viral. Viral is not a strategy. It's not.
1: Well, and I have to pause you because uh, your humility also makes you an idiot, Andrew, because the one thing that you have not said is that the content's got to be good. And that's the piece that is the most important. And I know that you're never going to say, hey, I put out good content because it's just not kind of in line with how you communicate with people. But the reason... This stuff worked first and foremost, independent of the studying you did on, on how to play the social media game and the network you built is because the stuff you say is actually grounded in experience and brings value. It's not just really well deployed social media plays. So let's not overlook the importance of the fact that your shit's just good.
0: And I can see very formulaic stuff and I see get some of the stuff can be a little on the superficial side and we can either use that as a dismissive criticism or we can understand that you understand your medium your social media is not meant to be everything it's meant to be the broadest touch point that can help people decide on who that whose work resonates most with them which then is it's supposed to attract people into your other stuff your other long-form content so if you don't have anything else a you're, you're completely missing an opportunity and you're going to disappoint people. And that's where you're writing or your podcast or your YouTube or you, any other stuff that you built, your legacy, right? Being a gym owner is, is an incredible thing, a point of authority on its own, which lends a lot of credibility to someone else who's a gym owner wanting to dive into your materials, right? Like I demonstrate a legacy of success. I look at Nick Shaw of Renaissance Periodization or Mike Dola of Stronger You. These guys built massive, successful businesses. It gives them tons of credibility there. And- you just can't rush this process. And I think people, it's, it's the same metaphor as the person who steps in the gym and gets discouraged because they haven't lost all the weight in three weeks or they haven't put on the muscle. They posted for, you know, every second day for three weeks, hey, this isn't working. I haven't gained any followers. I quit. And I know some really smart, capable people who get discouraged with it very easily and they resent the process and they miss out on an opportunity if they just commit to the long game.
1: Yeah, and it- before we hit the record button here you said hey if we get to it let's talk about how you would do it if you're to do this again and and i'll tell you this i couldn't have or we couldn't have seen the success we saw in our gym if we had to start again today running the exact same playbook mm. because we were just we were ahead of social media trends we had first mover advantage because we were in the right place at the right time in certain circumstances. So sure, we have almost 100,000 Instagram followers for our gym, but that was just because we were lucky enough to be on Instagram basically when it started. And and because we had tens of thousands of Twitter followers just because we showed up earlier than other people. And so uh, it's it's so uh, naive of a successful a person who's successful in the way that i am or in, in the way that my business is to say oh i've figured this shit out you give me it and you give me the cash flow to i'd say the funding to start another one i could recreate this i couldn't the the number of really talented impressive gym owners out there is 30x what it was in 2007 when i started doing this it is a terrifyingly competitive market the we have We have gym owners in our coaching community at Unicorn Society that put my operation to shame. And the craziest thing about the most successful ones in the space that we interact with is they have no idea how good they are. That's what makes them terrifying, (laughs) where they come in and they all assume that Mark and Michael and I are, are running $20 million a year gyms, and they just assume that we can help them take their $2 million a year gym and turn it into three, maybe. And in reality, we're like, holy shit, you're doing two million in revenue with five employees? Teach me. <laughs> <laughs> right, please. But they're just there are a lot of those like sneaky monster operators out there these days who are are so damn good that no, I couldn't I couldn't go from zero to a hundred right now running the same system I ran. And and I think that my self awareness of that is what makes me kind of effective in in building the audience that I have this very 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 niched like nuanced audience. Hmm. But it's because I'm willing to say luck played a big factor here, timing played a big factor, and I'm not about to pretend that Eric and I have this like brilliant skill set or mindset that doesn't exist elsewhere, and we just can't help but win.
0: Well, there's another thing that's embedded within what you just said. The timing. So you guys, free social media explosion. And you would have initially benefited tremendously from the fact that two of your three founders were part of a very limited group that wrote for the biggest strength and conditioning publication out there at the time, right? There's more stuff that competes with T Nation now. But at the time, T Nation was the road which pretty much most, if not all, of this sort of media went through. And Eric and Tony were on there. And very regular prominent contributors, you know it, it. It's not the same thing to be on there now as the power it had. Like the, literally, that publication sort of gatekept who was the authority in that space. Now okay. there's a lot more avenues to establish reputation. You can do it directly through social media, and and there are lots of prominent, brilliant educators who never went through it. Muscle Doc Jordan Shallow, even Mike Isertel. You know, never was a contributor for there. There's there's lots of other people, but by and large, a lot of the the very reputable generation that came through, whether it's Dave Tate or Mike Robertson, Brett Contreras, they all otherwise came through that publication. And there's just such a perfect sweet spot of timing. Now, that being said, most things are somehow a sweet spot of timing. Guess what? There will be future sweet spots of timing. Are you willing to put your head down, develop the the ten thousand hours, coach the people? Develop the coaching skills, the listening skills, the technical skills, the business skills. Pay attention to smart people. So that way, maybe you'll be the person who is at the right inflection point with the next perfect opportunity. I wrote a certain wave when it came to social media. Do I think it would be easy to recreate right now? Probably not. But again, you know, I'm also a big believer, and this is a big lesson is say yes to opportunities before you feel like you're ready. You describe the same sort of thing. Our Introduction of public speaking, very much a similar situation. Pete, this has been incredible, and I really do hope everybody's been enjoying this. If you're, if you guys haven't yet been following Pete and his media, you know, go check him out. Uh, Pete, where's the best place to find you?
1: Probably on Instagram, or well, my Instagram. I'm one of those guys who my Instagram is really just screenshots of my Twitter, but somehow my Instagram audience is four times my Twitter audience. Uh, but my username on both is is Pete underscore Dupuis. And the French-Canadian last name doesn't always connect with people, so that's D-U-P-U-I-S.
0: There we go. Uh, Guys, thank you for tuning in once again. I appreciate it. Uh, If you happen to be someone who's relatively new, who's finding this through Pete's Media, Pete's been a previous guest, Tony's been on a bunch of times. I've never met Eric or interacted with him in any, any sort of way, so... Eric's never been that blows again.
1: my mind. I, I but, can make that happen, Andrew. I have that connection. <laughs> and well, he does travel be, to
0: speak a fair amount. <laughs> that would be a tremendous honor. I mean, I've always thought of I use Eric as an example of someone who literally is not paying attention to any of your guys' media because he's busy, you know, with your guys' gyms, with the New York Yankees, with his family, all of this sort of stuff, right? And so that would be an honor, of course, but I don't feel entitled to it. Uh but in the meantime. There are a lot of great episodes with you, with Tony, and a lot of our other friends. Mark Fisher has been a past guest going way back, and uh, you'll find a lot of people that you like and respect, and uh, maybe you'll stick around. And if you're someone who has been a long-time listener, hopefully you're already following Pete, or go please follow him. And guys, thank you again for tuning in. I really appreciate you all.